in Revelation chapter 3 and verse number 14. Under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increase with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. And as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous therefore and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Let us pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to gather once again today in chapel. I pray that you would stir hearts and educate minds and help us to formulate a philosophy of ministry that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. We live in a day when many would deny that there is such a thing as the spiritual and the carnal. How many of you have read the Bible enough to know that there are spiritual Christians who walk in the spirit and there are carnal Christians who walk in the flesh? If you're with me on that, say amen. How many of you have ever had seasons where you were more carnal than spiritual? Uh, and, and yet there are those that would say, well, I'm in Christ and uh, I'm under grace so I can essentially live how I want to live and I'm still spiritual. That's not necessarily the message of the New Testament. If you were saved, you're still saved. But there is such a, such a thing in the Bible as being carnal or spiritual. And there is such a thing in the Bible as having a church that is either a church that is spiritual or a church that is carnal. There are churches today that are walking in the spirit, and there are churches today that are fundamentally catering to the flesh philosophically. And uh, you'll see more and more of that as the apostasy begins to reveal, as a falling away from the truth is evident with many churches, and you all have choices to make. What kind of church will I be a part of? What kind of church will I pastor? Will it be a church that caters to people or a church that seeks to please God? Now, I'm not going to give a lot of background to the Laodicean church in particular, but I will say that in the early chapters of the Revelation, we are seeing seven literal churches being addressed in Asia Minor. I'm told that you can visit most all of the sites in Turkey even today. Uh, I've only been to one, and that is Ephesus, and it was amazing to see the Library Celsius and to see some of the uh, even pre-Roman architecture. Uh, the world was a, uh, a place where the gospel throughout the Mediterranean region was making an impact, and one of the cities where the gospel went was the city of Laodicea. These were literal churches. I believe these churches also uh, give a picture of periods of church history. Uh, the church at Smyrna uh, and the church at Pergamos and all of these different churches in, in, in some ways reflect a moment of church history. And we come to the church of Laodicea this morning and we believe that the church of Laodicea really 
pictures a lot of what's going on in the church world today. Some people would say we're living in a Laodicean church age. That's not a good thing, right? Uh, But uh, for the sake of going through all the seven churches, when you hear the term the Laodicean church, it usually doesn't mean red hot, soul winning separation. Uh, It doesn't normally reflect that at all. The Laodiceans were more of a wealthy inland city about 40 miles from Ephesus. Uh, They boasted a famous school of medicine where they made eye salve in Laodicea. And in verse 14, we learn a little bit about the philosophy, and I want you preachers and some of you men that have not yet been called that we're praying God will call you, and some of you ladies might be called as preachers. I do not know, so I want you all to pay attention to this, and I want you to try to get it in your heart and mind today a little bit. Verse 14 says, and under the angel of the Laodiceans, now please take note of that. Here's a little bit of the philosophy of Laodicea. It says, under the angel of the Laodiceans, all of the other churches were addressed this way to the church at Laodicea. But here we see uh, of the Laodiceans. In other words, they had forgotten divine ownership. They thought it was their church. This is the church of the Laodiceans. One thing you want to remember as you work in the church is whose church it is. It is not the church of the Lancasterians or the Laodiceans. It is the church of the living God. If you don't have that in your mind, everything else falls apart. It is not your church or my church to play with. Uh, It is God's church. And if you're taking notes, Acts 20, 28, the Bible says, to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So the church, which is not the buildings, it is the people. The church is a called out assembly. We've learned that before. And it has been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when I stand before the church, I'm standing before uh, God's people. And it's not my people. It's God's people. And the church does not belong to the pastor, does not belong to the deacons, does not belong to the congregation. Now what I want you to recognize is that when you have the responsibility to be a pastor and you start making changes and you start bringing in this and that, which we'll maybe talk about a few things today, Be very, very sensitive to the fact that you're bringing this into God's church. It's not your church. It is God's church. And be very careful when you think of music, when you think of dress, when you think of philosophy, when you think of Bible versions, because we're living in a day where people are dropping so many things. Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, God said that we are to hold fast the things that we have been taught. God says that we are, to, uh, we are to transfer truth from one generation to the next. But many today are beginning to drop their distinctiveness in this day of apostasy. Dropping the name Baptist, dropping perhaps the King James Bible, dropping uh, godly music, dropping services, having relatively few services. And in the process of that, what many of these churches are saying is, This is our church. We'll do with it what we want. We understand our community better than you do. But all I'm trying to say to you is before you make any change, remember, it is not your church. Can I get an amen on that? Okay, Not your church. It's the Lord's church. So another thing I want you to think about by way of introduction is the etymology 
of the word Laodicea. And some of you that are taking Greek are learning how to break words apart and understand uh, more of the meaning and so forth and in the sense of, uh, uh, of understanding the d- derivation of a word and the context of a word. And this particular word, uh, Laodicea, comes from two words. It comes from the word laos, which means the people, and the word decay, which means rights. So remember this, Laodicea was the church of the people's rights. So they said, this is the church of the Laodiceans, this is the church of the people's rights, and the whole reason I'm sharing this with you is because they got away from the fact that it wasn't their church, it's God's church. And I just believe that fundamentally really relates to a lot of the other decisions that we make as pastors and teachers. So, if you're taking notes, having said this by introduction, I want you to notice, first of all, the concern of Jesus for this church. Jesus was concerned for the church of Laodicea. In fact, in verse 14, he says, under the angel of the church of the Laodiceans, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation I of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. Now, how many of you believe that if God is concerned about something that we should also be concerned about it. I mean, he's writing a letter to them, uh, and he's sharing his concerns with them. He says here, I am the faithful and true witness. He's giving a testimony to them. Uh, He's concerned about their lukewarmness. And we see many lukewarm churches today. They're not hot. They're not denying the deity of Christ, but they're not preaching the gospel as fervently, and they're not living a righteous life. They're, They're not hot. They're not cold. They're lukewarm And I believe there are several symptoms that we see in the sick churches today that are abounding. First of all, there is a loss of appetite for the Word of God. The concern of Jesus, letter A, is the loss of appetite for the Word of God. The Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. One of the indications that we're seeing in the day in which we live is that there are many churches now that are having maybe one service, many not having any revival meetings at all, there's a, there is a loss of appetite in these churches. Um, the average church that has gone to the home study groups, the home study groups, you'll hear about them when you get out in ministry, average about 17% of Sunday morning attendance in the home study groups. And what we're finding is that people aren't attending those, and that's why we've always been a, a philosophy of three to thrive, and we have a great percentage of our Sunday morning that come back in, and we just keep working that and encouraging people because we believe the Bible says so much the more as you see the day approaching. We don't believe people need less Bible today. Uh, I'm all about a clean schedule, and sometimes we'll take a night off or we'll adjust some things if we've been extremely busy. But what we are seeing today is a lack of appetite for the word of God. Jeremiah said, thy words were found and I did eat them and thy word was unto me joy and rejoicing of my heart. The second concern that I believe Jesus is pointing out is a lessening of value for doctrine. These Laodicean churches, these carnal churches, many times their messages are simply about relationships. They're about sometimes uh, uh, various different topics that are more of of a counseling, therapy, but not preaching the doctrines of the Bible, heaven, hell, salvation, the deity of Christ, not emphasizing truly the pillars of the faith. Verse number 18 says, I counsel thee, 
to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Now, the gold tried in the fire, I believe, is a reference to the truth. The gold in the Bible rep represents truth. Psalm 19.10, more to be desired are they, speaking of the statutes of God, more to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. So Jesus says, I want you to put a value on truth. And, 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 and what we're seeing today in many churches is that uh, the drawing card is the rock and roll band, okay? Uh, the drawing card, where people get excited, they jump, they wave, they, and I'm not against waving holy hands, but I'm just simply saying that a lot of times the concert is the draw and the preaching is weak, very, very weak. It is very entertainment orientated. It is, uh, it is the night show type of thing. And it's not the declaring of doctrinal truth, which is what builds New Testament churches, is the strong declaration of doctrinal truth. So when Jesus, and how many of you have a red letter Bible? Y'all have red letter Bible? So if you notice that verse 18, when Jesus says, I counsel thee, listen, how many of you say, man, Jesus is counseling them? They ought to listen. How many of you agree with me on that, right? I counsel thee, he says, to buy of me gold tried in the fire. So the Laodiceans had it the other way around. They were drawn to the riches and materialism of the world, but not the gold of God. And so it is that uh, they were losing uh, the emphasis on doctrine. Recently, I have seen even some Baptists who have attended either concerts or attended different meetings where the doctrine is very much opposed to the word of God, and, uh, or there's no doctrinal emphasis at all. And the Bible teaches and commands us, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, rebuke, rebuke, reprove, and exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but they will heap unto themselves, you know this now, teachers uh, having uh, itching ears after their own lust, ha having itching ears, and they will turn away from the truth. So the Bible says that there's coming this turning away from the truth, and people will want to hear teachers that kind of tickle their ears, like uh, messages that are entertaining, messages that will bring them back, but not necessarily preaching the doctrine of the Word of God. So Jesus said, I have some concerns for this church. There seems to be less doctrine. Uh, I, I think about uh, some of them, how, how terribly weak it has come. The pastor of the Hillsong Church that produces a lot of different CCM music said, when he was simply asked about homosexuality, said, the real issues in people's lives are too important just to reduce it down to a yes or a no answer in a media outlet. In other words, I can't really give a yes or a no. How many of you would agree with me? That's a very weak position on the homosexual issue. By the way, that's going to become the crux of the issue in your generation as a church. We're already seeing a softening with some of the mainline denominations. We're already seeing some leading churches in some of the mainline denom denominations that are ordaining homosexuals, that are bringing them into the church. And uh, even a leader in one of the, uh, the, the leader of the Southern Baptist Convention recently said that we need to stand up for the dignity of the LBGQ movement. And, uh, and, and listen, everybody has dignity because they're created by God, but there's nothing dignified about the LBGQ movement. That would be like standing up for the dignity of crack addicts. Sin is still sin. 
right? So, so what I'm saying is, is that we're seeing that there are many today who have great bands and they're great communicators. They have great light packages and websites, and sometimes they have some truth. But the day of running off to those conferences for a Baptist that really wants to remain spiritual is over, in my opinion, uh, because nearness is likeness. And there comes a point when you must come out and be separate from those things. And Jesus is saying there's less doctrine, there's less preaching. Uh, there seems to be in these churches less in the way of soul winning. Uh, there is a lot of discussion about terms such as being missional, being uh, having a missional lifestyle evangelism. All of that sounds good, you know, soup, kitchens, and all of this. But little talk in these churches about actually confrontational evangelism like Jesus with the woman at the well. And so the Laodicean church has a loss of appetite for the word. I think we see that. Uh, I, see, I see here a lessening of doctrine. There, there also in the Laodicean church comes a lapse of convictions personally, letter C, a lapse of personal convictions. So there's a loss of appetite for the word. There's a lessening of doctrine. There's a lapse of personal convictions. You say, well, Brother Chapel, where do you get that? Would you look back to verse 18 with me for a moment? It says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. Gold stands for what? Truth or doctrine. All right, let's try that again. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich. Gold stands for what? Truth and doctrine. Okay? You may be poor financially, but if you hold to the truth of the word of God, you're wealthy spiritually. Then it says, and then it says this now, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Now, white raiment speaks of personal holiness. Now, we understand that that holiness comes to us through Christ, that we are declared holy by Jesus Christ and by his grace. We understand that under the law, men attempted to earn holiness and that under grace, we receive holiness, that we are sanctified when we are saved. But we also believe that we are to be growing into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Some people call that sanctification or Christian growth. But there is now a throwing off of the doctrine of sanctification and there is a belittling of modesty and belittling of godliness. And we're seeing some Christian leaders even drinking and doing various things uh, that are a terrible reproach to the cause of Jesus Christ. And, and I'm not one that has advocated uh, having a, a sanctimonious attitude towards others, being a Pharisee or something like this. But I do believe this. The Christian life is a holy life. Let's say that together. The Christian life, it's a holy life. Let me just say something about dress. And I realize that uh, all of you come from churches with slightly different dress standards. And we have, we've taken a higher standard here at the college to try to have a right testimony and facilitate ministry. But I want to tell you that uh, while you may have different uh, casual dress standards, some of you girls in, in particular, um, that I want to ask you this question. If a, if a bus child coming in or a new Christian coming in cannot see masculinity and femininity at church, where are they going to see it? Now, I'm not talking about when you're out hiking at the mountains or something like that, but I'm just saying if people can't see what a, what a lady is like at church, where do they see that anymore? You know, Or even what it means to be a godly good man if they can't see that at church. 
And I'm not, not just talking about dress, but that's part of the package. But I'm just saying God has called us out, and I believe that as Christians we should be distinct. Even in our casual times, we should be sharp. And, 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 and yet God says, I, I call you, I challenge you that you would, notice here, uh, that you would take white raiment and be clothed. Now, Revelation 3 and 5 says it this way. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot his name out of the book of life. That's our positional salvation. We're dressed in the righteousness of Christ. How many of you are thankful for that? Okay. But then the Bible says in Romans 12, be not conformed to this world. Now, some people say, well, I'm under grace, so I can, I can lead the singing. I can be a girl, and I can wear tight, holy jeans, and I can, I can lead the singing of song that barely mentions God, and we can bring all this into the church, and that's uh, because we're under grace. But the problem with this is that hyper-grace becomes ultra-legalism in the sense of the spiritual pride that people begin to have in themselves. And they begin to pride themselves in their lack of standards. So let me tell you, a legalist prides himself in standards. A worldly person prides himself for no standards. And hypergrace produces pride as much as legalism produces pride. What we want to do is to walk in the Spirit and to have a ministry that reflects the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I mean, some people get so sarcastic and rebellious. They go, oh, I'm glad I'm not like that anymore where I used to just have to sing the hymns or have to dress this way. I'll tell you what, I tell you, I have a lot more knowledge than those ignoramuses now. I've outgrown what I learned in Bible college. And you know what, they've, they've outgrown it and they've become nothing more than a worldly lay to see in church. And there's such a thing as a carnal Christian and a spiritual Christian. And there's such a thing as a carnal church and a Christ-honoring church. And you have to decide what kind of a church are you going to be a part of. So uh, there, there is this emphasis, this de-emphasis rather of personal holiness. And there's this emphasis of fellowship that is often not pleasing to the Lord either. And there comes an ecumenical spirit and I want you to listen to a quote from Spurgeon. He says, There are some in these apostate days who think that the church cannot do better than to come down to the world to learn her ways. Now, this amazes me that someone in the 1800s would write this. So I'm going I'm I'm to say it again. There are some in these apostate days who think that the church cannot do better than to come down to the world to learn her ways, follow her maxims, and acquire her culture. In fact, the notion is that the world is to be conquered by our conformity to it. This is as contrary to the scripture as the light is to darkness. Now, some of you guys, if you want to, you can find a website. You can find people that are conforming to the world. They're bringing all these philosophies. They're dropping, they're, they're advocating joining conventions, dropping the name Baptist, dropping the King James Bible. And, and by the way, if that's who you are, I don't mean this in a bad way, come and let us talk with you. We'll share biblical positions with you. But if you're saying, look it, I want to have a church that's Laodicean. I want to fellowship with other denominations. I want, to, I want to rock it out. I'll probably preach from another version. Honestly, from my heart, I would rather that you not graduate from West Coast Baptist College. I would rather you not have our diploma on the wall. In fact, we've got a few that have gone so far away doctrinally, they don't even want to say that they graduated from West Coast Baptist College, and that's fine with me. We started this college to, uh, to help establish and strengthen Bible-believing Baptist churches that are seeking to walk in the Spirit, that are not following a Laodicean uh, process. Okay? Now, you can follow a Laodicean process, 
Um, I could bring a CCM group in here next week, and we could have a rock concert, and, and uh, I could wear, you know, holy jeans out here and a T-shirt next Sunday, and I could possibly get a crowd. But I, ha- I had to ask myself a question 32 years ago. Do I want to pastor an army for God of soul winners, or do I want to pastor a social club? And I'm, I want to pastor a church that's making a difference. That's the decision that I made. And some of you are making these decisions. And that's why I wanted to share this with you today. You see, 1 Corinthians 10 and 21, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of devils. You cannot be the partaker of the Lord's table and of devils. In other words, the, the Corinthian church, they wanted to go to the old temples. They wanted to come back to church and it was all good. But they were being called to a distinctive life. And I'm not saying that every church that's, that's Laodicean in their lifestyle or, or context, that they're not saved. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm simply saying we have to draw lines in our Christian life. Romans 16, 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. When I see men that are starting to uh, advocate various uh, uh, different styles, even Bible versions, and and, and, uh, turning away from their Baptist distinctives and heritage, I don't necessarily bring all their names to this pulpit. I don't throw a fit. I don't necessarily get mean. But I avoid them. I don't want to go preach for them. I don't want to uh, enhance their ministry, and I don't have them preach here at chapel. I don't say, and I have some guys that I love, and I've even said, man, I love you. I'll pray for you. You have a baby. I'll send you a card. You have a special anniversary. I'll, I'll send you a card. But I am not going to bring them to West Coast Baptist College to teach how to have a Laodicean church. Did you know there are seminars on how to transition your church from being traditional to being contemporary? And I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to transition this church. I'm not afraid of some new songs. I'm not afraid of some lights or some screens. There's some things that I, I feel God's given us liberty to use. But as far as just transition, Transitioning the whole church to a Laodicean package, that is not the heart of this pastor. I want to have a church that is reflecting, listen now, not the culture around us, but the God above us. Let me say that again. Why don't some of you put this on Twitter? How many of you are on Twitter? Let me just see your hands. How many, how many of you are on Twitter? Raise your hands. How many of you are on Instagram? All right. You're on Instagram. All right. That's, that's where you live. Okay. So put it out there, right? So here's the deal. Uh, I... Do not want to build a church that is conforming to the world, but is pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ. Our target is the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, it's vitally important that we see that we are called to uh, to be a church that pleases Jesus Christ. Dr. Curtis Hudson wrote me this letter from his deathbed. Dr. Curtis Hudson wrote this to me from his deathbed. I challenge you to take your place in the long line of independent fundamental Baptists who have stood for separation and soul winning. I speak now of ecclesiastical separation. Hold the banner high until Jesus comes. That was written to me by Dr. Curtis Hudson as he was dying of cancer. I speak now of ecclesiastical separation. Now I now hear of some young Baptists who make fun of the very term ecclesiastical separation. Ecclesiastical separation is simply stepping away from those trends and doctrines that would draw us away from our biblical moorings and from our biblical heritage. And some, some would refer to the trends as the new evangelical trends. New evangelicalism is not a term that we fundamentalists made up. It was created by the president of Fuller Seminary, a very liberal seminary in Southern California in 1948. And I want you to hear what he said. Harold Ockengay, he said this. 
Neo-evangelicalism was born in 1948 in connection with a convocation address which I gave in the Civic Auditorium in Pasadena. While reaffirming the theological view of fundamentalism, this address repudiated its ecclesiology and its social theory. The ringing call for a repudiation of separatism and the summons to social involvement received a hearty response from many evangelicals. It differed from fundamentalism in its repudiation of separation. So new evangelicals repudiate separation and they emphasize collaboration. They said we will engage in theological dialogue with others around us and it had a new emphasis upon the application of the gospel to sociological, political, and economic areas of life. The new evangelicals essentially were trying to bring the fundamentalist and the liberals together. But many of our fundamentalist forefathers, whether it be John R. Rice, whether it be Lee Robertson, some of these others we could name, they said, we cannot fellowship with a liberal. We will not come together in the new evangelical concept. Some new evangelicals have the same doctrine that we have, but they are yoked together with groups that are doctrinally false. So in not fellowshipping with the new evangelical, someone says, well, you're practicing secondary separation. And I've often said, yes, I do, because I don't want to give an unclear sound about where we stand. I've tried to be very consistent in that simple realm of where we stand. So uh, there's a concern that the Lord gives. This is the question that was raised in Amos 3.3. How can two walk together except they be agreed? The concern of our Lord for the church. Secondly, let's look quickly at the condition of the church. The condition of the church. Verse 17, it says, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Here we see that they had a misplaced trust. A misplaced trust. They said, we have need of nothing. We can handle this almost as if to say, without God. We have need of nothing. First Timothy 6.17 says, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. But many Laodicean churches are very high-minded. Uh, they're, they, they're very program-centered. And they, they figured out a way to keep people hyped up and involved but it's not truly always the power of God or the power of the Word of God. They have trusted in their own riches. Secondly, they have a misunderstanding of success. You see, a crowd does not necessarily mean that you're being successful. Now, preachers, how many of you are called to preach? Stand up if you would. I want to see where you guys are. All right? Now, I want to, I want to just tell you something right here that you're going to have to be careful with. Do not get out in the ministry and see some mega church in your community or somebody online and get this thing of thinking, well, they're big and they're growing, so I've got to do what they do in order to grow. That is pragmatism. That is not the way uh, that you formulate a biblical philosophy. You go to the book of Acts and you find the pattern and you produce a New Testament church where God places you and feel no pressure by some large church that has all the lights and all the, all the things and all of the programs and all the stuff that you may never have. And instead of trying to be the echo of some voice, you be the voice that God wants you to be in that city for the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? But a lot of young guys, because we're in such a success-orientated society, 
And I've seen, I've seen young men do this from our school too, Brother Getchen. They're not growing like they think they should. And so they think, well, man, I'm not growing. How embarrassing is that? Let's see. I'll, I'll, I'll try this style. I'll, try, I'll, I'll drop this name. I'll, I'll go to this conference over here. I know there's some, there's some Southern Baptist, some Assemblies of God. There's some, you know, whatever, Robert Schuller, whoever. You can name whoever you want. I'll go. I know that's not exactly me, but they get, they get desperate. And pretty soon they start changing things and they forget the whole concept of this message. It's not your church to change everything. And the target is not, how can I please people? The target is, Lord, what do you want here? And keep that in your mind. And don't be intimidated by something that looks big and successful. But keep your focus on the Lord himself. You may be seated. In fact, look what Jesus says about this church in verse 17. He says, you don't even know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I, I could give so many illustrations. I remember standing at the Rose Bowl years ago. Northwestern was playing USC, and I was standing behind a guy. And at that time, there was a huge church in Chicago area called uh, Willow Creek Community Church. And I, I would never say that, that everyone at a particular church aren't saved. I don't think you can say that about a church. But just to give an illustration, and I was standing, standing in line there to use the restroom at halftime, and guy in front of me and we started talking and I gave him a track and I just started asking him some questions and I said, do you know for sure if you were to die that you'd spend eternity in heaven? How many of you would agree with me? That's a very simple question. And he said, oh, he said, Bill baptized me. I said, well, that's great. I said, did anything happen before that? Well, you know, I've always been a believer. I mean, I was raised up in Catholic, so I mean, I really already was okay as a Catholic, but I got baptized by Bill. Well, folks, being raised up as a Catholic, getting baptized by Bill, that's not salvation. And I know there's probably members of our church that aren't saved. How many of you would say that's probably an honest statement? There may be people in this room that aren't saved. But what I'm saying is that if someone's here and they're not saved, it's not because they haven't every single week heard how to be saved. And what I want you to recognize is that some of these big, huge churches that might seem so successful, when you really get a close look, there's a lot of folks that don't know the Lord and there's a lot of folks that just flat aren't grounded I was in Washington, D.C. on Monday, and I prayed with some of our elected officials on Tuesday and went to a White House briefing Tuesday morning. And, you know, one of the questions that one of the congressmen asked me, Pastor Chapel, why is it that so many churches just can't get it right on the basic things? And I'm not picking on Bill Hybels. He's since fallen out of the ministry. Unfortunately, so many independent Baptists followed his philosophy and, and made fun of their heritage. They said, these guys are better. But, you know... There's sin in every crowd. I want you to know that. And Bill Hybel's church at the last election, this is a, a statistic that's, that's uh, posted, voted for Barack Obama in the last election Obama ran. Now think of this. And supposedly Christian church, 52% of the members voted for Barack Obama when he was endorsing abortion and gay marriage. Does anybody see a problem with that? People that are, that are so loving the band and the vibe that they have that little discernment to even know. And even, even Christians, the few Christians in Washington, D.C. are going, what's going on? It used to be that the church at least understood the issues. And they're asking, what's, what's happening to the church? And what I want to challenge you is this. Let the church be the church. You don't, people are, I'm hearing young pastors say, oh, we're trying to redeem the culture, you know, or just bring in some of the culture in. You know, Paul, he quoted the poets at Athens. That's true. But listen, I'm, I don't want to redeem the culture. I want to redeem lost souls. 
I don't sit around during the week and go, how can I bring some groovy thought into my sermon that's really using the culture? Like, like, like uh, what, what awesome movie can I talk about this Sunday to our people? There's not very many awesome movies. I mean, I could talk about Happy Days or something. I don't know. You know, Little House. Oh, let me tell you about A Little House on the Prairie I saw one time. That'll really get them. But this is what preachers do these days. They spend more time because... It's real hip if you're kind of a rebellious kid that went to an independent Baptist college. Now you're throwing off the restraint. It's real cool to talk about movies because you were never allowed to go to movies, but now you're big. You can go to movies and preach with jeans that have holes in them because you're big. Whatever. There is a spiritual church. There is a carnal church. And I'm not trying to redeem the culture. I'm trying to redeem lost souls. So his, he says... The condition of this church, he says, you have a misplaced trust. You have a misunderstanding of success. We've seen the concern of our Lord. We've seen the condition of the church. So let's finish it up here. Uh, thanks for listening so well. The counsel of the Lord to the church. What's his counsel to them? All right, look at verse 18. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. So this is a call, letter A, to return to spiritual values. Stop putting your emphasis on all of the worldly riches. Stop putting your emphasis on the, this is our church. Stop talking about being a seeker-sensitive church. Stop talking about being a market-driven church. And I challenge you, Jesus says, come back and buy some of my gold and get into my philosophy and get back to the truth of the Word of God. That's his counsel to them, return to spiritual values. And why do we do that? We do that because... Jesus Christ loves us. The love of Christ constrains us, 2 Corinthians 5.14. And, and we, we want to come back to the Lord that has called us and because of his love. Because, because, secondly, because we need him. Revelation 2 and 5 says this, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. And I read a book not long ago called Mission Drift by Peter Greer and it was a book about uh, various different ministries and how they started out winning souls or even colleges like Harvard that started out training preachers, but now they're nothing like what they once were. And, and preachers understand this. Every organization has the tendency to mission drift. That's why with our deacons and with our college board, once a year, we review our philosophy, our doctrine, and we just talk about where we are and we make sure that we're not in a drift because when you get out in the ministry, it's going to be easy to get blown with the philosophies of the world. Is any of this making sense to any of you all today? It's easy to get blown away. Listen to a quote from this book, Mission Drift. And this is not even a Bible-believing Baptist that wrote the book, but he says this, today... Too many boards, staff, and leaders are silently choosing to follow the well-worn path of mission drift. Monitoring inputs and outputs, they forget to measure what matters most, their original mission. They hire for technical competency, soft-peddling their Christian identity. They do not defend their mission. Growth becomes their primary definition of success. Now, gentlemen, every one of us have to come to the place where we ask, the, ask this question. What is more important to me, looking good, even growing, or being true? You've got to settle that. What matters more to you, looking good or being faithful to the truth? And, and I believe you can be faithful to the truth and still grow. But the point is, you cannot, 
compromise the truth. You must return to God's spiritual values. Secondly, you must repent of misplaced values. Verse 18, the Bible says this. And again, he says, buy of me gold. And then he says, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed. Hosea said it this way, come and let us return unto the Lord. It's vital that we repent and come back to the Lord and seek his spiritual riches, seek his holy living of verse 18. And then finally, we want to resume our ministry with a renewed spiritual vision. Look at verse 18 at the very last there. It says, anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou may see. You see, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Sometimes we need to stop looking at everything else and come back and look to the Lord. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. Now, let me, let me close with just a quick couple of illustrations. Many people today are so concerned about how they package ministry, okay? When I came here to Lancaster, I could not afford even gospel tracts. I could not have a screen or a website. Nothing, nothing about our church was really that sharp. We had old tattered carpet. We had just nothing that sharp. I went to a printer and I said, would you print this for me? And I had some things about our church. It's a Bible-believing Baptist church. I had the Romans plan of salvation. I said, would you print this for me? And uh, I said, I don't have any money, sir. It was heart printers right over here in Lancaster. I said, but if you'll print 5,000 of these for me, I'll come back in 30 days and I'll pay the bill. And uh, that man kind of scratched his head and he said, okay, I'll, I'll print them for you. Now, really, all I had in 1986 was just the gospel. That was it, the gospel. And so I just went from door to door to door to door to door to door giving the gospel, giving the gospel, talking to people. Winning people to the Lord, if they would talk to me there, trying to get them to church. For me, a lot of times it was talking at the door, getting them to church, letting them hear the message, and then leading them to the Lord on the next Tuesday night. But all I had was the gospel. But now what's happening in churches is we're focusing on, oh, man, we've got to have, got to have this light package and this website and this song. That song is so awesome. Got to have this song and that song. And, 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 we've got to, and so, so we work at you know, laying out the red carpet, and we get all the program going on. And what we do is we take, we take this, this gospel and we begin to focus on the packaging. And so now we're wrapping it. We want everything to look really good because we're in a day and age where look is so very important. And, but what happens is we now begin to put all the emphasis on the packaging of the gospel, and people are putting emphasis on how it looks and how it's presented, and does everybody think that we're cool? We're really working on, uh, working on the packaging. The packaging really is just the context in which you give the gospel, but it is not the gospel itself. And here's my point. In all of the emphasis on the packaging, churches are forgetting the gift. Ministry is not about the package. It's about the gospel. And I, I, there's, there's about 50 different books written right now on gospel-centered principles. And the, the, the real joke about so much of it is, is that many of those churches aren't seeing people saved because gospel-centered is just another way of saying no standards or let me live how I want to live, for, not for all, but for some of them. And I, I would propose to you that if your church is centered on the gospel, that it's not all about the packaging, it's all about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Don't neglect the gift for the packaging. If you understand that, say amen. Don't neglect the gift for the packaging. 
And the gift is Jesus Christ. It's so important. Now you say, Brother Chapel, you know, you preach some messages like this and it seems like you, you kind of bear this burden, you know, that a church could drift away. And, uh, but I, you know, I, I just wonder if it's really that bad. Let me show you how bad it can get and we'll close. Look here in Revelation chapter 3 and notice what it says in verse 20. And would you read this with me? And let's stand together, okay? Just stand there and hold your Bibles. We're almost done. Verse 20, Revelation 3.20. Everybody have it? Say amen. amen. Ladies, do you have it? Say amen. amen. Good. All right. All right, here we go. Verse 20, begin. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Now, I think some of you already know what I'm about to say. That verse is not written to an unsafe person. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Listen now. That verse is written to the church of the people's rights. How bad could it get? Is it, is it important to talk about mission drift? Is it important to talk about the lukewarm church? I mean, really, Brother Chapel? I mean, just a few changes, do they really matter? I know that guy's another denomination. I know that they use a different version. Does that really matter anymore? Because, like, I've got some questions. Does it really matter? Well, does it matter to you where Jesus would be? And I want you to just think about it for a minute. I want you to think about the picture here of this Laodicean church. I want you to hear what Jesus is saying, not to unsafe people. Hear what he's saying to the church. I'm, I'm outside here. Um, could you turn the band down? I'm trying to get to you. I know you have aerobic classes, but I'm standing outside the church. Look, look at, uh, um, I, I know you don't have it on Sunday night anymore and Wednesday night, but could I come in on Sunday morning? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man would hear me, would somebody open the door? I'm not going to force myself upon you, but I'd like to come in. And, 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 I, and I know there's a dance tonight, and I understand that, that you, you've had that seminar you went to, but does anybody want me to come in their church? There is such a thing as a carnal church and a spiritual church. And Jesus is giving us a picture here that he's on the outside looking in. Does mission drift happen? Yes. Is apostasy happening in America? Yes. Are some young independent Baptists slipping towards? Yes. You've got to decide. Are you going to put the emphasis on the packaging or on the gift? And you've got to decide. Are you going to be a Baptist? You've got to decide. Are you going to stay with the preservation of the Scriptures? You've got to decide, is the Christian life a holy life? And you may, you may have slight differences than a guy sitting in your same pew. But you must decide. There is a Laodicean church. And you must decide what type of church will you be a part of. And will you help to build up for the glory of God? And Jesus simply says, I want to counsel you to buy of me gold. Get back to the word. I want to counsel you to, to put on white raiment. Don't make fun of holiness. Make sure that you're living for the Lord. Make sure that you're taking your stand. And I pray that you'll think this through and that you'll just say, Lord, give me a philosophy that it might not be cool with the guys that are chatting it up on the internet, but I want to put my head on the pillow at night and know that I've done what you wanted me to do.
One thing I can say to you, because I, I always wrestle with the tension of these issues as a pastor. I'm not saying I'm a perfect pastor. But I have for 32 years endeavored not to give mixed signals to our people. I don't want to preach about certain doctrines and then have uh, pass out Sunday school curriculum that's elsewise, right? There's a pastor up in Seattle right now, some young guys, oh, man, you got to cool this or that, cool internet system. Hey, his wife's the co-pastor of his church. I don't think that's biblical. I don't want to go to his seminar. I don't want to go here and preach. I don't want to hear his sermons, and I'm surely not bringing him to Lancaster Baptist Church after all these years of teaching our people that the office of the bishop is for a man. I don't want to give an uncertain sound. And there's a lot of young preachers today, when I look at their ministry, it's so uncertain. I'm not mad at them, but I want to give a certain sound. And for 32 years, We've kept this ministry heading the same direction. And by the grace of God, that's what I want to do until Jesus comes. Perfect? No. Have I made some mistakes? Sure. Sometimes people talk about them on the Internet themselves, you know, <laughs> people that have never met me. It's all good. It's all good because I'm not going to stand before them someday. I'm going to stand before the Lord. And I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I, I, I hesitate to give a lot of little standards because I'm trying to keep the principles at the forefront here. There will be little differences that you'll have, but there is a drift and there is a trend and there is a Laodicean church and there is a lukewarm church and there is a worldly church and there is a spiritual church and a soul-winning church and a separated church and a godly church and you must choose. And I want to call some of you this morning to a place of decision where you would say, Lord, I don't even always understand all the issues Brother Chapel's talking about, but I can understand when he says there's a drift and there's a carnal and there's a spiritual, and I want to choose right, and I want to be sure not to be worshiping this culture, but to be worshiping you, and I want to make that decision, and so I want to ask you today to just, in your heart, ask the Lord to use you and to make the right decisions in these areas.